Hello, everyone, and welcome back to this edition of Roar Lions Roar. I am your host tonight, Matt Filipovitz, joined by my phenomenal co-host, Bill DeFilippo. Bill, hello, how are you? Uh, you know, I've I've been better. I was uh, indicted by a New York grand jury uh, a little bit earlier today, so I'm... Is that because you're rooting for the, uh, the, the, the Devils and not the Rangers? Uh, no, that was because I paid hush money to a porn star. Uh, so... We got a little political on the pod. I'm sorry, folks. That didn't actually happen. Uh, I'm good. How are you, Matt? I'm good. It was opening day here in Chicago, so I got to... Uh... I was absolutely terrified. I was sitting at my desk. I was working, you know, from my home office. And all of a sudden I heard a fighter jet go over my apartment. And I like, <laughs> I was, I totally forgot what time opening day was. And I ran outside to see if like something was going to happen. And then I heard cheers from Wrigley Field a few, a few blocks over and I looked really silly. So that was a very humbling wouldn't, experience. Why, why would you, why would you run outside? Why wouldn't you like try and take shelter? I wanted to see what it was. Well, like I knew it was like going over us, so like I wanted oh, to see what okay. it was. Like the the blue is it the Blue Angels? Is that that um, aerial crew that does something, like the uh, yeah something like that? Yeah, they they come here every summer, so I'm like, oh, are they here already? So like I went outside to go see, and then like after my fear subsided, and then I realized it was just the the okay. flyover had opening day. I, I I just like to imagine that you were concerned that like I don't know the English were trying to run it back for a second time and. <laughs> Yeah. You know, you were like, oh, no, I need to go outside and see what's happening. And not like you were actually afraid that like a war was about to break out. And you went, well, obviously, I must get away from shelter. It's a very funny visual. Eh. Oh, I mean, listen. If you're going to if you're going to be invaded by a foreign country, I think it's only fitting that first you see what's going on. And I think that's really good life yeah. advice. That's fair. But but we are not here to talk about opening day or the Devils or the Rangers or anything like that. We are here to talk Penn State basketball, which, Bill, has a new head coach after a very, how would you describe the last two odd weeks, Bill? Stressful, hilarious, on brand, like what's the proper term here? Oh, God, I, 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 I wish I knew how to describe it. Like It was pointed out, um, it was pointed out yesterday that yesterday was four weeks from the, the game at Northwestern where Penn state, you know, it's not universally agreed upon. That's what they won to clinch their spot in the big 10 uh, in the NCAA tournament. But like that really, really helped. And like that got pointed out to me and it really made me realize that I just had no frame of reference for how long the last month has been. It's been a very long month in the world of Penn state basketball. And after it, you know, we're now at a point where I think for the first time Matt, we can kind of stop. Um, what's the word? We can stop being nervous about what's about to happen. And we could start being excited, knowing that there is like a vision in place for the program that even during the run uh, leading up to the big 10 tournament and during the big 10 tournament, Maybe they didn't necessarily have that kind of long-term vision. No, and, and that long-term vision and the reason we feel so confident is that Mike Rhodes, former VCU head coach, has officially been named the head basketball coach at Penn State. He spent seven seasons on the bench at VCU, uh, was there from 2017 through this past season. He made three, I'm sorry, six seasons, excuse me, and he made three NCAA tournaments in that time. VCU has routinely pumped out really good basketball coaches. Shaka Smart, 
Will Wade, who is already suspended for the start of next season, which is very funny to me. Now we get to add Mike Rose to that list. And Bill, this feels like Penn State is trying to find their Micah Shrewsbury. Shrewsbury did a great job here, but he ultimately wanted to go home. Penn State went out there and they made a significant long-term financial agreement to a central Pennsylvania native to hopefully never get burned like this again. Do you think that's that was part of the reason why Rhodes emerged as one of the top candidates? I, I was wondering that while I was listening to Rhodes' um, Rhodes press conference, I was actually talking about this with a friend leading up to um, leading up to the presser, where I, jo- I said to him as a joke, like he might say that Franklin line that you know I'm a Pennsylvania boy with a Pennsylvania heart or whatever, and it's actually kind of funny because. I said to like I it dawned on me at one point that Rhodes kind of talked about being the head basketball coach at Penn State as like an aspirational thing. And there's this little voice in the back of my head going like, boy, if you're viewing Penn State as an aspirational thing as a basketball coach, something really might not be like that that should be disqualifying <laughs> in and of itself. But no, I mean I I think that when you look at Mike Rhodes' history, what he has been, where he's been as a basketball player during his career at Lebanon Valley, and then as a basketball coach, where it's largely been in the mid-Atlantic, aside from him getting his break as a D1 head, not a D1 head coach, uh, getting his break at Old Dominion, uh, it seems like between that and the fact that he has a seven-year contract, Matt, I, I, I don't know about the Shrewsbury comparison with him being from Pennsylvania Shrewsbury from uh, Indiana, but it certainly seems like Pat Kraft went out and got someone who understands two things. One, what it means to be the basketball coach at Penn State, good, bad, or otherwise. And two, kind of the basketball culture in us. Mm-hmm. Uh, Central Pennsylvania, Central Northeast, basically all of Pennsylvania other than Philadelphia, which has, you know, maybe the best basketball culture in the country, along with, you know, New York, Chicago, the DMV, that sort of thing. So it's interesting. Like, are, are, why do you think this is going out and doing what Notre Dame did with Shrewsbury and getting someone who like is from the state and knows the state, that sort of thing? Because it's like, it seems to me like you're kind of drawing the, the parallel between those two. Yeah, I think, listen, Penn State basketball for a long time was a stepping stone job. Like, not even that. Like, a head coach at one point left us for Navy. And, like, Pat Chambers was never going to get a better job. So I think Penn State is kind of viewed as a, a job that if you succeed in, you can leave for a bigger job in the Power Six. And I think giving Rhodes, a Pennsylvania native who's, you know, past the age of, he's, he's past 50, he's 50 years old, he's in the, you know, back half of his career. I think he's a guy who is going to be a program architect. And I I haven't really given this, I'll talk this out in real time here. I haven't seen too many takes on this. I'm curious what yours would be. The Big Ten's about to make a lot of money. The Big Ten's about to make a lot more money than any other conference, and the schools are about to get a lot more money. Do you think putting a PA guy who really understands what Penn State basketball can be and then giving him all of that money in his pocket that's going to come from the TV deal, do you think this is Pat Kraft really understanding what the architect of the next decade of Penn State basketball has to look like? Like Shrewsbury, I think, would have been a really good coach for a long time. 
I think there's things that Rhodes understands that just frankly, Micah just couldn't because he's not from here. He didn't go to school at Lebvow. He didn't, you know, cut his teeth in, in Pennsylvania and in the DMV extended area with a long career in Richmond. Like, I just think that this is a move that you make to get a really good head coach who will keep your program stable, who then with this big influx of cash we're about to have can build Penn State into the best realistic version of what Penn State could be. I, I definitely think there is something to hiring someone who, who, who there's a level of, uh, you know, for the joke that I cracked a minute ago, like you aspire to be at a place like Penn State. You aspire to be at the Big Ten school uh, just down the road from where you're from uh, originally. And when you look at you aspire you know, to be in the Bryce Jordan Center. Who doesn't? And when you look back on VCU's coaches over the last however long, uh, Jeff Capel, Anthony Grant, Shaka Smart, Will Wade were the guys leading up to him. None of other than Shaka, who he had a I would say he had a pretty good reason for it. I don't think Texas was necessarily a good spot for him. No, it wasn't. Uh, Jeff Capel only left Oklahoma because he was fired. Anthony Grant left uh, Alabama because he was fired. Shaka left because he, you know, I would have been, been fired. Uh, yeah, I think he kind of got closing time there and he's from Wisconsin. So he got to go to, uh, got to go to, uh, Marquette, which is obviously in Wisconsin and Will Wade, uh, you know, Will Wade, that man really likes cheating. Um, and the NCAA doesn't like when you do that. And what that says to me is that when you leave a place like VCU, and maybe Rose is wired differently. I don't know. I don't know the guy. I've never spoken to him. When you leave a place like VCU, one of, if not the best program in the Atlantic 10, a place that has this recent tradition of greatness and success, you are only leaving it for a job that you think you can, you can be the guy at, be a face of. And I do wonder if, after Pat Kraft, he did not look very good considering the circumstances under which Micah Shrewsbury left. And, you know, Nate Bauer and Dave Jones have done some essential reporting on this matter. I wonder if when he was looking around for a new coach, looking for someone who would not burn him again, who would only leave for the right opportunity was something that was of the utmost importance to him as opposed to let me take this huge bag that I'm going to walk around with, throw it in front of the biggest name that I could possibly find and hope that turns me into, you know, someone who's celebrated as opposed to someone who's under a little, who's under a little bit of fire right now. Yeah. I I mean, Kraft also did come out and he said he wanted a sitting head coach and, Mm. I mean, Penn State's going to be an attractive job. They just came out of the of attorney run. Um, like, I think that there were going to be low major coaches that would have had a lot of interest that would have checked the box for Pat Kraft. But, yeah. Bill, do you think the, a, the A-10 is what? The number seven league in college basketball? Give me give me a second. And you can I tell me the Ken Palm what, ranking. I was just going yeah, purely was, off vibe, but the Ken Palm is a better way to do it. Actually. I was, I, I was just about to say, according to Kenneth Pomeroy, it's the 13th best league in, uh, in wow. college basketball. Yeah. I never would have well, guessed well, that, but well, the thing is 
VCU is a great program. Dayton is a solid program. And then it's a bunch of schools like, you know, St. Louis is occasionally pretty good. Uh, George Mason's been all right. George Washington's been all right. Davidson's had a few good years, but I think Bob McKillop just has uh, has retired. St. Bonaventure, uh, you know, has some good years, but has some not so good years. So it, it's a very volatile league. And the one thing that I think you can absolutely say to uh, to the credit of, to the credit of Pat Craft here, Pat Craft absolutely deserves this. Is that consistently over the la- in the Ken Palm era, especially uh, if you're making that line, Jeff Cable uh, starting at F or starting there, or if you want to go to when they joined the Atlantic Ten, so the uh, fourth year of Shaka Smart. That has consistently been a very good team since 2013. One, two, three, four, five. Eight NCAA tournament berths for FAU, uh, not FAU, VCU, uh, and Mike Rhodes leading them to three of them. So it is a solid conference, but it's a very good program and a consistently pretty well-respected program within that level of conference. Yeah, and th- and I think the fact that this is actually, I, mm, how do I want to word this? One thing that does concern me about Mike Rhodes and his career at VCU is VCU basketball is the biggest show in town like VCU donors. And I don't know how many there are, but every school we're learning has at least some level of of money coming in from outside donors. VCU basketball is, is the talk of the town. Like I know Richmond also has the university of Richmond in it. Like I get there's competitors, you know, UVA is big in the city, Virginia tech. There's all these things. You never have to worry about VCU football sucking up all the air around your program. Right, exactly. And if we go back and if we think about some of these coaches who flamed out at football-focused schools, and it it can be for one reason or another, like Will Wade cheated, Shaka Smart didn't work out, he goes off to Marquette, basketball-only school, we see this success. I just want to make sure Mike Rhodes really understands that no matter how much interest this Penn State basketball program generates like Bill, you and I see the podcast download numbers like we understand where Penn State when our basketball episodes drop where it fits in the pecking order. Like he has to understand it's going to be a different challenge to get that attention than it was at VCU. It's going to be a bigger attention. That's that's horrible word. It's going to be more attention in terms of pure numbers. But in terms of the air you take up in the space you're in, it's going to be a smaller percentage now. Yeah, I mean, I don't have the... um... Let's see if I can pull up if this is the uh... no, I can't find the uh, transcript anywhere. But one thing that Mike Rhodes said during his press conference was I have a Penn State, you know, I watch Penn State wrestling duels. I watch Penn State football. He said, I have a Penn State wrestling shirt that I wear and I now have Penn State basketball gear like this is this is a guy who. I think he is going to step in and understand what it means to be the basketball coach at Penn state. Good, bad, like that was, no, if we talk, we're not going to talk about other candidates too terribly much, but that was one reason why I wasn't opposed to giving the job to Adam Fisher, because if you are taking the job at Penn state, which is however we want to slice it, one of the worst power five basketball jobs, you have to understand that, you are going, it, it's an uphill battle. You're not necessarily going to be Sisyphus. You're not necessarily going to be, you know, endlessly pushing a, pushing a stone up that hill the entire time, but it is an uphill battle. And it does seem to me 
that Mike Rhodes understands what that uphill battle entails and what the first step in solving a problem is admitting you have one. So, you know, it's, I don't know if this is an optimistic way of looking at it, but you know, hopefully he understands that. I think the fact that, again, he's from here, he clearly knows that Penn State has these other sports that people care a lot about, which, again, he really didn't run into at at VCU. You know, I know he was at Rice before that. Rice is, is, you know, it is what it is. Old Dominion, like Randolph Macon, shout out Randy Mack. Like a lot of these schools, it's just different. Like, and and now he's coming to a football first school. And I think Packraft is ready to really heavily invest in the program. And I think that Rhodes is a guy who, just by nature of how much money VCU has, knows how to do a lot with not exactly a lot of money. And I think that's going to be beneficial. But again, it's the taking up the amount of air that Penn State football always will yeah. that I'm a little bit concerned about and well, how he's going to how he's going to react to the job. Like, again, seven years, I think he knows what he's getting his head into. But like, I think I don't want him to come in thinking the same thing Micah did, where like it felt like Micah was really frustrated that they couldn't pack the BJC and I think, you know, you and I and people who grew up around Penn State and know Penn State always knew that was never a realistic goal. Like, you'll pack it on a Saturday when you're good, but those Tuesday night games, like, you're not going to get that many people in that in that arena. Yeah, I, I and, you know, let's, let's use this as a chance real quick to uh, take a big step back, a, a bigger step back and say something a little bit more uh, broad and big picture, which mm-hmm. is that unless... Penn State athletics, unless Penn State's donor class, unless Penn State's boosters, unless the university, unless all those people give Mike Rhodes every single thing that he needs to be able to have success as the basketball coach at the Pennsylvania State University, none of this matters. I mean, yes, exactly. Will, yeah. Maybe, maybe he's able to go in and uh, you know, recruit nicely and develop nicely. Maybe has a nice year here. This is maybe makes a tournament. Who knows? Unless Penn State is serious about making sure Mike Rhodes is put into a position to succeed as its basketball coach, which means NIL fun. You know, Dave Jones uh, wrote a good piece in Penn Live today. Uh, you know, kind of a recap of. Um, uh, of his press conference and some other things, he basically cited the various things that Penn State needs to take care of. I'm, go- I'm going to cite Dave here uh, in Penn Live. Uh, had to make sure commitment was there from Penn State leadership as it has never been before to make needed improvements in infrastructure, to make recruiting travel easier, to raise long term NIL funds, to guarantee use of the Jordan Center by his team when it's needed, and in general to make basketball priority as the only revenue sport in PSU athletics other than football. That's where, to me, they could have hired Mike Rhodes. They could have hired Adam Fisher. They could have hired Dusty May. They could have hired Greg Popovich or Eric Spolstra. They, uh, they could have hired your dad, a good high school basketball coach, Matt. Nothing would have mattered unless Penn State is serious about yep. making sure that guy is able to do his job to the best of his ability. And what we need to hope is that between the seven-year contract, the big payday that he got, the pedigree that he brings, uh, and frankly, the embarrassing nature by which they lost Micah Shrewsbury, someone viewed as 
a guy who can go coach in the NBA tomorrow and have success, there is a motivation to give a guy, give Rhodes or whomever it would have been that kind of stuff. Yeah. And I, and I don't want to make it sound like my, the thing I was trying to get at was that, you know, I'm nervous Penn state isn't committed. My my thing more or less was, I just hope that Rhodes, I hope that it's very clear to Mike Rhodes what this job could be and not what it likely will be. No, that's not right. What this job likely will be and not what it could be. Like, I think that's really important because again, seven, I think the seven year deal was really important, but also what does money matter in college athletics anymore for buyouts? Like it's a, it's a double-edged sword, but my my broader point was, I just want to make sure that this program needs stability after was it three head coaches now in mm-hmm. you know two years and ten months like this program needs a guy to come in and build it and in the transfer era you can build pretty quick like yeah. this team already has there is no Pat Chambers left in this program Lundy's gone Johnson's gone Dorsey's gone like it's been two years there's no Pat Chambers left in the program which is absolutely insane to think yeah. about so sorry God Bill what are you saying and and I, I, you bring up Pat and I think it's I think Pat is a really interesting guy to bring up because Pat always seemed like he felt like he needed to be fighting against something because at Penn, like that just, that's just how he is wired. And that, and, and that thing he was fighting against Bill wasn't even other big 10 teams. It was something within the administration, within the athletic department. Right. But, he, but throughout that, when that is your kind of general, approach i think it's really easy to believe that you have to be fighting these battles because it's not going to get better because Mm -hmm. if you're not fighting these battles you know all the ones that you fought before aren't going to matter and i didn't get that vibe from mike rhodes in his opening press i i got the vibe that he's a fighter i got the Mm -hmm. vibe that he's a guy who's going to want to get down and dirty and really go for it with Penn state. He gave a quote during his presser, like the people of this Commonwealth and this university, every day we're going to go to work. We will be blue collar. We will have dirt on our hands and we'll be damn proud of it. That's who we are. And that's what our basketball program is going to become. Him calling it a Commonwealth made me so happy. He did call it a state a few times before that. I will say (sighs) that, but at no point during his press conference, did I feel like he was making it sound like, he has to fight against forces outside of his program or outside of just his uh, coaching staff, support staff, players. It sounds like he believes he can do something at Penn State and he believes he could do that thing at Penn State because he is good enough because Penn State can be good enough and that's really encouraging to me. Bill, speaking of things that are encouraging. I was just about to say, do you want to do this? What do you know about homefieldapparel.com, Bill? That I'm not wearing any of their gear. Uh, but it's pretty good. It is It is a pretty good thing. Homefield Apparel, pretty good thing. And our podcast's longest standing partner and sponsor. As you all know, they are one of the coolest collegiate apparel brands out there in the universe. I would know. I used to work at a clothing store in college, and Homefield stuff blows everything out of the water. I, 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 won't, I won't ask you which one, but can you tell me what it rhymes with? Um, I don't want to, I, I actually really enjoyed working there in college. Like I had a lot of fun. Okay. Then, then say um, good, then say which one it was and say good things about it. And we'll tell our, it, our, our listeners to go there. It was lion's pride. Uh, shout out to the folks over at lion's pride. I really enjoyed working there. That was a very, that was a very fun job. 
Um, but Home Field Apparel, they have a 15-piece Penn State collection. They have crew necks. They have T-shirts. I have more than a few items. I'm in the process of looking for a new apartment. So I cleaned out my closet, and I found an old Home Field shirt that I totally forgot I bought with the Penn State drop. It's the blue We Are Penn State one with the old lion shrine on it. That one is really exciting. Our listeners can get 15% off their first order with promo code ROAR, Lions, ROAR, all one word, all caps at checkout. Bill, what is one of your favorite home field apparel items that you currently own? Uh, I have, it, it's a bit of a cop out, but I have just this generic uh, home field apparel crew neck where it's nice. just gray with the home field lettering on it. Uh, and then one of their Penn State shirts. It's their uh, it's their Happy Valley one. Uh, I'm I'm just a very big. I've been wearing it around a lot more than usual lately. It's their uh, Heather Gray Happy Valley shirt. That uh, nice. I'm a big fan. Nice. As always, thank you to Homefield for sponsoring us again. Fifteen percent off your first order with promo code Roar Lions Roar. And Bill, let's get let's get all this nonsense out of the way. Mike Rhodes is here. It is now his basketball program. The Micah Shrewsbury era has come to an end. The Sandy Barber experience with Penn State basketball has now come to an end with her biggest hire, um, you know, in, in the athletic department, now off to greener pastures, allegedly. Um, happy St. Patrick's Day. What does Mike Rhodes bring to Penn State basketball? I know he historically plays a slower style that none of us, at least yeah. in our conversations, really want to see. But he's bringing in a staff that plays high tempo, that has experience, you know, playing a similar style to what we saw this year. Bill, what are, what are we looking forward to here, cutting forward in the next year or two under Mike Rhodes? So what I'll say, it's not a slower style. It's a more defense-first style. Uh, correct. Yeah, that's fair. The, the the pace they play at is not exactly Virginia or Wisconsin. Like correct. It's, it's, they've been yeah. a – in terms of tempo, they've been top 150 in Ken Palm every single year that he was at uh, VCU. They were top 100 twice. His entire th- system is based around defense. And the past five years will go from 2023 to 2019, uh, you know, kind of throughout that first year they had there as head coach. 2023, they were 15th nationally in defensive efficiency. 2022, 7th. 2021, 14th. 2020, 45th. 2019, 7th. He has consistently had some of the best defenses in college basketball. And it's really interesting because yes, they do VCU some havoc stuff. They're press pressuring you full court. They're guarding you 94 feet, a lot of length, a lot of trying to block shots, a lot of trying to get into passing lanes. The thing that is so interesting to me is that after they hired him, I went and I looked at Shaka Smart's time at VCU and those from the final four year, the final four year, they were good. And then after that, they had some of the best defenses in college basketball, Matt. His, there were three straight years where they were first nationally in turnover percentage. And then his final year, they were 11th. That's real good. It was really good. That's but real good. it had a flaw. And it was usually if you could get past what they were doing in trying to turn you over, it wasn't that hard to score against them. They were 98th, 227th, 99th, and 190th, you know, from uh, least recent to most recent, in effective field goal percentage in college basketball. Teams were shooting pretty good numbers on twos against them. 
So when you were able to get past Shaka Smart's pressure, you were then able to score with some amount of success. Turn that on to Mike Rhodes, and that hasn't necessarily been the case. In his last five years, okay. uh, from most recent to least recent, seventh, fourth, ninth, sixth, and sixth nationally in turnover percentage. Effective field goal percentage. In t- so how well are opponents shooting against you? 29th, 9th, 119th, 111th, and third nationally. What all this says to me is that Mike Rhodes is going to build a defense that is going to turn you over, but even when it doesn't turn you over, it is going to be held to score against, which is a bit of a difference from Shaka Smart. And Matt, I know you and I, you know, we were spoiled this year by watching the beautiful, crisp, uh, uh, three-pointer happy Micah Shrewsbury offense. I think the calling card for Mike Rhodes' teams in Happy Valley are going to come on the defensive side of the basketball by some margin. I think it has to. Like, I mean, we can call Penn State is never going to be the team that can shoot that volume of threes we saw this year, year in and year out. Like, there's just not enough shooters to go around. And if there are, I guarantee you not a lot of them are going to come to Penn State. Um, So I think this is a very sustainable way to play basketball. I like the idea that the Big Ten is a tough league, and I like the idea that this is a team in Penn State now that's going to be focused on defense, turning teams over, getting out and running, and just being a little bit smarter than you. Like, I think you can go really far in this league playing that brand of basketball, and Rhodes is, I think, a a really, really good coach who can instill those values really early on. And the good news is, like, listen, we don't know who's going to stay with this program. We'll talk about transfers in a second. But, like, a lot of the dudes on the roster this past year understood that good defense can take you pretty far from watching Seth Lundy play. Well, let me ask you this. One thing that you have at VCU is that you are essentially – Cool mascot. Cool mascot you're essentially always going to have some kind of a talent advantage. Yes, absolutely. One thing that is a bit uh, on Mike Rhodes resume as the head basketball coach at VCU is that, yeah, they have that. They have uh, the talent advantage, Their first game in the NCAA tournament this year was against St. Mary's. They lost by 12. Their first game in the NCAA tournament in 2021, they didn't make it in 2021. That was the COVID year, but Ken Palm has them as they would have been in as a, uh, they they would have been a first round team. 2019, when they made the NCAA tournament, they played their first game. It was against UCF. They lost by 15 points. Are you concerned, Matt, that, Mike Rhodes style on the defensive side of the basketball. If he doesn't have guys who can at least match up talent wise with the guys they are going up against, they are going to run into problems. Well, first of all, it's great to know that he fits right in, in the big 10 with early uh, tournament exits. That's exciting. Folks. Um, <laughs> um, I, that that's a great question. I'd have to dig deeper into that. I think that the tournament is not built for teams that rely on bigs. And I don't think they're built for teams that can't shoot the lights out. Like look what happened when Penn state went cold against Texas. They couldn't win. Like that was a winnable game. Shots just weren't falling. Like I don't think that's necessarily an indictment on the way Rhodes teams play, but I think it's something that we have to make sure that they 
complement that good defense with high-level shooting. And it doesn't have to match what Penn State did, but it has to be better than what Penn State has historically been if they want to get to the tournament. And listen, I think it's very fair to say get to the tournament is um, the goal for Penn State in a lot of seasons. And anything they win is just gravy. Uh, so I think if they want to have that, they, they just need to combine that with above average shooting year in and year out. Yeah. And to me, that's where my concern comes, Matt, mm-hmm. is that you look at Rhodes teams, they haven't necessarily been great shooting teams. They're usually okay when uh, you're inside the three point, uh, three point line, never anything that'll really blow you away. But you look at his teams at VCU, Especially the last two years, they have the the percentage of their shots that are three pointers uh, compared to the rest of their shot diet, 304th nationally last year, 335th nationally year before. When they are letting it fly from three, they're not especially good there. About 25.6% of their points came from behind the three-point line last year, which is 316th nationally. Uh, They're really good at getting to the free throw line uh, and shooting a lot of free throws. Uh, You look at the guys that he's had, it's a lot of guys who aren't necessarily great shooters. Jaden Nunn, uh, one of their guys who entered the transfer portal, and you know, maybe he comes here. Uh, and David Shriver last year, a, uh, a tra- guy who I believe transferred from, yeah, transferred from Hartford, uh, were their shooters. That's not a lot of guys who are going to be shooting. So this is a concern for me. This is where my concern with the Rhodes hire comes in is I don't know how important he views the three-point line. And I think for a school like Penn State – when again, it's never going to have a major talent advantage, that's going to be an issue. What do you think? I think basketball as a whole, I think Rhodes is a guy who can adjust to the times and basketball as a whole is becoming a lot more reliable on the three-point ball. And I think it's proving to be a successful way of winning games. Like I think the ways of the big man are are quickly dying out. I think Purdue getting bounced in the first round is, is a prime example of that. Um, I do worry, I I do worry on just in this next year coming up, what happens if they just take a bunch of dudes to fill the roster out and they're not good enough defensively and they also can't shoot? Like if the wheels fall off, what does that do for the trajectory of the program? But long-term, I think they can compete for the NITs if they're surrounded with just decent shooters. But again, I think they need those guys who can get hot, catch fire, not Andrew Funk's level, but Seth Lundy's level and carry a team into tough wins in January and February in the big 10. And then I think Rhodes can then play a suffocating style of defense to get better shots in transition on top of running really good sets. Yeah. And, and that, and that's where you hope, you know, something that we haven't mentioned, you hope something like, uh, adding Joe Crispin onto the staff whose teams mm-hmm. are, you know, Joe Crispin was a hell of a shooter. That's what I was getting his, at. That's what I was trying his, to get at. His, his teams at Rowan really let it fly from behind the three point line, even though they weren't necessarily a bunch of really good shooters. I believe they were something like third in their conference in three point attempted and towards the bottom in three point field goal percentage. So you shoot hope or shoot. that shooter shoot and you hope a guy like Crispin is coming to encourage them to have a little bit more of that. But 
yeah, now it's a matter, Matt, of trying to fill out the roster. And um, VCU's, Can we talk about that? <laughs> VCU, VCU's players are giving him an opportunity to do that potentially. So first, before we talk about, so pretty much all of VCU's roster entered the portal today. Um, I don't know if, I mean, listen, that doesn't really mean they're going to follow Rhodes because they can pretty much go wherever they want. These are all talented guys, but it's a good sign. But on the Penn State front, um, Kerry Booth, Logan Imes, and Braden Shrewsbury have all requested release from their um, NLI. Yeah. And, and, uh, and it's and it's it's worth mentioning, I think, uh, I believe uh, Micah Shrewsbury, you had his introductory press conference today indicated that, you know, the least surprising thing of all time, Braden Shrewsbury is going to be following him. Correct. Correct. So there's three guys already gone from the roster. Uh, Lundy has said he is going pro, and I think that is a really great decision. Uh, Dalian Johnson, Caleb Dorsey have entered the portal. I, I can't imagine they'll come back. And then Evan Mahaffey and Jameel Brown have entered the portal. I will say they were both at Rhodes's press conference today. So read into that what you will. As as was as was Kanye Clary, Keba and yes. Jai was the one guy. And Keba and Jai and Demetrius Lilly were the two guys who weren't there. Correct. And and I think Kanye being from Virginia, um, I, I can't remember you, offhand yeah. where he's from. I think there's a connection there. So th- that's I, th- I put him as the best guy currently on the roster with the best chance to stay. Also, Kanye shared the Rhodes post on his Instagram story today. Um, so read into that what you will. Bill, there's going to be a lot of open spots on this roster going forward. And we can just talk about it however we want to talk about it, because I don't even know how you start building a team that's going to need double-digit scholarship spots filled in all likelihood. I, I would say this is the first test of Pat Craft, right? Because... Pat Kraft either arms his coach with everything he needs to be able to go out and get players who are really good basketball players. From VCU, Jameer Watkins, Jalen Deloach, Nick Kern, Jaden Nunn, and uh, A-10 Player of the Year, Ace Baldwin, have all hit the portal already. All hit the portal already. That is, I believe, their top five, I believe it's their top six players uh, in terms of scoring. Uh, no, that's top uh, four of their top five and uh, five of their top seven. Sorry. It's a lot. If, yeah, number of, those are guys that going out and getting them is important. Going out and being able to get guys like that who can immediately come in and help preach what the coach wants to preach is really important. But, if you don't think the A-10 player of the year is going to have interest in the transfer portal, if you don't believe uh, a guy like Jaden Deloach, who averaged 10.7 rebounds, 1.5 blocks on 56% shooting from the field, is going to uh, pique the interest of opposing coaches, none shot 40% from behind the three-point line. Really good? You need, pretty good, you need to give Mike Rhodes the chance to sell these guys on something other than I know you, Right. <laughs> Yeah, there's there's another element of the portal that I, I don't think is being talked about enough. And maybe I'm overthinking it. And I, and I want to get your thoughts here, Bill. COVID years are almost over. Like the the guys who played their se- first season in, in COVID are true seniors now. Like these COVID eligibility guys who you can take for a year and improve your roster. There's not that many of those guys remaining in college basketball. Like the portal's about to get a lot harder to recruit because there's about to be a lot fewer people in it. So this seems like a great opportunity for you to go out there and start laying the foundation to 
build the roster up for a good run in 24, 25. But like this year, I, I is having a really hard time doing the, the rental program thing that Penn state kind of did this past year with, with winter, with funk, with Mikey hen. Um, and, and that's what kind of concerns me about, about how you're going to build in the portal, because what made Penn state successful the last two years in the portal were guys who had bonus eligibility. And again, there's not that many guys like that left. Yeah, can you establish a can you use the portal this year to establish a floor? Right? Correct. Like that's exactly that's the entire exactly. thing. Can you use the portal this year to basically say we're just using this year as a chance to stem the tide, develop, you know, if we bring in a couple of guys who, you know, the grad transfers, they have one year left, whatever that's going to be, that's one thing. But can you use the portal to use that while simultaneously doing the really tricky thing, which is Getting guys in who have multiple years of eligibility and can be guys that you build your program. I mean, one of the first things that Micah Shrewsbury did when he took over the Penn State job was reach out to Jalen Pickett. He went out and he got Jalen Pickett and Jalen Pickett ended up coming to Penn State as a result. There was obviously the stuff uh, where, you know, you're going out and you have to recruit John Hara to stay. You have to convince Miles Dredd to stay. Other guys you have to stay. But you look at that first year of Micah Shrewsbury. Jalen Pickett was a transfer. Greg Lee was a transfer. Jaheim Cornwall was a transfer. Jelani White was a transfer. Giovanni Scott was a transfer. Obviously, that isn't exactly the most um, uh, high-profile group of guys outside of Pickett. But there are guys who were able, you know, they were able to help Penn State make it so you're not, you know, going out and getting the kid who's ranked 350th in the recruiting world, uh, saying we just need some warm bodies. Can you come and help us? That's the kind of challenge that Rhodes faces this year. But at the same time, Matt, like I don't think that necessarily means you kind of have to accept that the team is going to win 12 games this year. You know what I mean? Yeah, I, I get what you're saying there. And and that's why I think that you you started this whole thing off by saying this is the first test of Pat Kraft. Like there has to be a, a real investment in NIL infrastructure this year because you can build a team very quickly and we're seeing you can lose a team very quickly. So again, if Penn State is able to go out there, identify the right guys, they can be competitive next year. And I think that that's a very a very good goal to have in year one after I think we hit the lowest low, at least in our Penn State basketball fandom, just two and a half weeks ago. Yeah, I, I, the one thing that I'm hopeful for is that we're not going to be sitting here and watching a team like the 2012 team, where the day of Pat Chambers' first scrimmage, you know, I was reminded of this earlier, the day of Pat Chambers' first scrimmage was the day that all the Sandusky start, stuff started. And that team started the year 5-1, and one, ended the year 12-19. and 19. They ended the season 7-18. and 18. They won four games in Big Ten play. I don't think that's going to happen because I don't think the like super extenuating circumstances that surrounded that team are necessarily going to happen here. But it's going to be tough. And... Mm-hmm. The good news above all else is that Mike Rhodes seems like he understands that and he wants to take that on. I agree. And and I and I think that Kraft can be committed to basketball. And I think that this university has an appetite for basketball. And I think Rhodes is a guy 
who can lay the foundation for Penn State to become a similar basketball program and culture to like Virginia Tech. Remote campus, football is king. Virginia Tech basketball is a really good program, and they've built it up very quickly. And I think Rhodes can be the Penn State version of that. Yeah, I, I think that's fair. But, Bill, since Pat Kraft has decided to commit to basketball, I think it's only fair that we do it as well here on the podcast. So moving forward in the offseason, our goal is to have one of these to you a month. It's an attainable goal. It's not a lot, but it's a lot more than we have done in the past. And I think just by nature of how much movement we're going to see over the next couple of weeks, I think we're going to have more than enough to talk about. So, Bill, that's all I have here. Do you have anything else you want to add as we send everybody off into their weekend? No, nothing. Just I hope that I hope that sooner rather than later we start to get a sense for what this program is going to look like. What this program is going to look like under Mike Rhodes, because he's going out and he's adding, you know, he's getting the VCU guys. He's maybe getting a couple of recruits. Maybe he's convincing a guy like Evan Mahaffey uh, or Jameel Brown to stay at Penn State. So God, you know, Evan, please uh, stay. Evan, please Evan stay. Would be, I was I was talking to a friend who. Um, you know, he does a lot of NBA scouting stuff. He used to write for us over at the nine to five. And he basically said he loves the Florida Mahaffey on a Mike Rhodes basketball team. So, you know, fingers crossed we end up getting that. Bill, who wins the national championship this week on Monday? Brother, I think it's UConn. I think oh UConn is like, I look through it. Miami, they're just a team of like wings who are pure hoopers. <laughs> like they just play which one is, on which one. Is all, I, which is awesome. Oh, it's great. What, but I think UConn is going to provide a pretty big challenge for them. I don't know if Florida – I love watching this Florida Atlantic team. I don't think they're going to have a lot of fun playing against San Diego State. And then, you know, Ken Palm has them as the number one team. I know they were a four seed, but I tend to trust Ken Palm more than I trust the committee on this. I think UConn – I think they're playing the best basketball in the country right now. They're probably the best team in the country right now. Uh, I think it's there for them. Give me, uh, give me San Diego State, and then I hope they tell the Pac-12 uh, to leave them alone, and they go join like the Big 12 or something. That would be so funny. That would be very um, funny, yes. That would be very funny. But thank you, everybody, for listening, as always. It has been a very eventful uh, month of Penn State basketball. Um, shout out Jalen Pickett, who was named a Wooden All-American tonight. I believe first the first one in program one program history. In program history. Uh, again, I will never not take the opportunity to shout out Jalen Pickett. And, Bill, that's all I have. So, Everybody, be sure, 15% off your first order at homefieldapparel.com with promo code ROARLIONSROAR. Be sure to leave a five-star review on your podcast platform of choice. Uh, leave us a comment. Let us know what you're thinking. And we will be back here in a little bit to talk Penn State football with, uh, with spring ball underway. I think either myself or uh, and Bill or Craig or Matt are going to be rolling back out here and ramping up football coverage again. So thank you all for listening. For my co-host, Bill DeFilippo, I am Matt Flipovitz. Go State.